show of hands, how many of you guys are first, second, third time visitors? Show your hands. Keep it up, okay. Uh, this is not for you. This is for those around you. So can you put your hand up and just kind of hold it? Okay. New community family. You see, you see through there? Okay. Okay, you can put your hand up. Thank you. This week, uh, I had two or three of these conversations that uh, just break my heart. And I want to share with you. Uh, folks who come into my office just sharing some enormous things that they're going through. And at some point, at some point in that conversation in my office, I stop them and I say to them, does anybody else know what you're going through? And every single one of them said, no. And two of those folks are part of a community group. <laughs> Does that surprise you, community group folks? Did you know that 80% of churches in America are 100 people or less? The average size of church in America is 120. That means that over 80% of you that have come to new community, this church is way bigger than what you're accustomed to. So immediately part of what you feel is, it's too big, I can't get to know people. And you begin isolated. You can feel isolated and lonely. Secondly, majority of Americans go to churches that look, where people are, look just like them. Talk just like them. Dress just like them. Voila. Welcome to new community where all of a sudden you look out and go, they don't look like me. Talk like me. Dress like me. Our size and the diversity of our church make it more challenging and more difficult to find community. True? Clap if, you, if that's been true of you. Okay. Okay. But there's a fundamental belief that we at New Community have, and that is that it is in diversity that we see a larger picture of God, not less. Though more challenging and more difficult, it is in the midst of doing life with people who are not like us initially that we see a bigger expression of God. So if you are somebody who's been coming to our church and you come regularly and you sit there and go, it's so big. And you don't want to initiate. You don't even want to try. And you go, they're so different. And you don't want to initiate. You don't want to try. I plead with you, new 2011, to be a part of our church family and get to know people in the context of smaller groups. I keep telling you guys over and over again, I, I hear stories of people who've gotten to know people intimately in this church, and every single one of them says it has radically revolutionized their Christian life. Is that true? Secondly, I want to encourage you guys continually to serve. You've got to feel a sense of ownership in this church. You've got to get a sense of what I do makes a difference to what happens to this church. And if you're detached from ownership because you don't do anything, it's only a matter of time before you go, you know, I like this service and this and that, but I think I'm going to go look for something else. Get involved, you guys. Get involved. We have a special speaker here today that I'm going to interview, but before he comes, I want to give you guys a heads up. Next Sunday, Vision Sunday, and uh, we're going to launch uh, uh, our new sermon series. We spent 10 weeks in the fall through the book of Jonah talking about grace. You could essentially entitle the next 8 to 10 weeks, The Other Side of Grace. In other words, we're going to talk about what does a person who's experienced truly the gospel grace, what does their life look like? 
So we're going to spend four weeks on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Four weeks. You're going, that's a very short story. I know. We're going to spend four weeks. We're going to dig and dig and dig. Okay? And essentially, we're going to see why someone who has truly experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot help but live a life of compassion and justice. After that, we're going to spend two weeks on grace and generosity, or grace and money. And then two weeks after that, we're going to spend some time talking about grace and forgiveness. Is that an issue to anybody? (laughs) Forgiveness is an issue if you're a human being living on the face of this earth, okay? So we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about that. And then I have a big surprise for what happens for the rest of the year that we'll talk about next Sunday when you get here, okay? Today, we have the privilege of uh, hearing, meeting Pastor Javon Nair. I got to meet Pastor Javon because his son, by the way, sorry for the tea, I've got a nasty flu cold something, something, something. So, um, excuse me for my beverage. Uh, Pastor Javon Nair is a pastor in India. I got a chance to meet him because his son, Pradeep comes to our church. When I met him at Panera, Pastor Javon, and heard his story, his testimony, immediately I'm sitting there going, our church has to hear this. Our church has to hear this. And so this morning he is here. I want you guys to give him a warm new community welcome as he comes up. Pastor Javon. Welcome. Welcome. Please have a seat. His wife, Esther, and uh, his son, Pradeep. Can you guys just stand and turn around so our church can see you? Okay. Do I call you Javon? Do I call you Pastor Javon? Do I call you Pastor Nair? Just Jivan. Okay. Okay. Um, we're so glad that you're able to be here this morning. Uh, when I heard your testimony, as I shared, I was just blown away in Florida in so many ways. So share with our church and our church family a little bit about your testimony and how you became a Christian. Can you hear me? Turn that on for you. On. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ, for this opportunity to be with you and share how the Lord Jesus Christ found me. Um, I was born in a Hindu home. My uh, mother was a Brahmin. My dad was a Nair. Brahmins are the highest caste in India. Nairs in my stage are the second caste in India, two high caste. Nayars, if you Google, you will find uh, something like the summarize of Japan. Honor and word are very extremely important to them. Losing face, they would rather die than lose face. Brahmins control the Hindu scriptures. They are the priests who offer worship in the temple. As a little boy, as I can remember, I remember that my mother taking me to the temple at 4 o'clock in the morning every day, rain or shine. We had to have a ritual bath in the temple pond 
go into the temple sanctus sanctum and stand in front of this huge six foot idol and involve in worship and without that we cannot even have a cup of tea in the house and in the evenings we had our own shrines in the in the house so we worship there when i was a very young boy say about 4 or 5 years old a group today known as the rss in india they are called the sank parivar even if you google rss you will find a whole lot of uh, information about them my one of my uncles started a branch of that group near my house and this group rss was started by five people in 1925 in india they started it to counteract the nefarious activities of christian missionaries it is a right wing hindu group today they control india every fabric of india according to the leading magazines are controlled by this group five men about 85 years ago what started today has india in their grips the media the uh, the judges the cops the military every single fabric of indian society these people have infiltrated they believe that india is for hindus all non hindus christians and muslims ought to be reconverted or driven out of india or be killed a systematic systematic purging of um, indian society indian quality the whole india they want to believe cleansing of india that's what some other words they use i joined this group as a little boy little boys don't care about politics or uh, this kind of stuff but they attract little boys by games the founder of the rss said let's not concentrate on young guys or people in their 30s or 40s let's catch hold of young children and rss is only for boys and as you go there it is a military style operation one hour they meet how often do we meet as church or as committed christians one hour or two or two hours on a sunday or if you are really spiritual we meet on a on a wednesday that will be a great struggle if it is not snowing right <laughs> but rain or shine these guys meet for one hour every day they have a military style drills and after that they have 10 minutes of storytelling sometimes i had wished that our sunday school teachers would take a refresher course from these guys in telling stories they pump you with hatred 10 minutes if you have a 5 year old kid every day telling them the atrocities the christians and the muslims have done on our hindu nation the horrible thing that british have done we have and our our nation is a 5000 years old culture christianity is a upstart maybe 2000 years ago britain was no more i mean i mean british country uh, britain was not a big country when india was a great nation they say they pump the uh, the idea of greatness of hinduism and the atrocities done by other communities on hindus it's a nazi type organization even hitler was not so 
uh, organized and powerful as these guys are uh, today. This is the only fascist organization in the world that has not been split, but has grown from strength to strength. So, if you grow up in that group, you can imagine the hatred a kid will have in his teenage when he was a young man for other communities. I grew up in this group. As a young Hindu, one of the struggles we have as boys is to stand and watch when somebody dies in your family being cremated. It is not a closed crematorium. It is an open uh, funeral pyre. You stand there and watch your relatives turning into ashes. When as a little boy, if you have that chance to stand and see your aunts and uncles and grandmothers and everybody turning into ashes, you have time to think about future, eternity. I began to think about it as a little boy, standing, seeing my people turning into ashes. I knew that I would be there one day. I would get up in the morning, look in the you know, mirror and wonder who on earth given was. Where did I come from? I talked to my Hindu gurus. We have plenty of them. I talked to my, I went to my Hindu scriptures. We have plenty of them. I went to all kinds of temples and gods and goddesses. We have plenty of them. I looked and I stood in front of this uh, temple, this idols in the temple and asked them, who on earth am? If you are real, please, uh, please reveal to me. I cried out as a little boy. I remember that. And I was empty. When I told my parents about this, they thought, boy, this guy is loony. He's about nine or ten years old. He's asking who on earth he is, where does he come from? And so they took me to Hindu gurus. Of course, they have their normal mumbo jumbo, they told me, but I didn't have the peace of mind that I was seeking. I come from a very rich home. My parents were very rich, culturally very famous. One of my dad's uncles started an organization called Nair Service Society to educate Nairs and bring up Nair Society. So my, if you go to this particular stage, Kerala, and tell my father's family name, everybody will know. So culturally, spiritually, because I was a Brahmin, uh, so, uh, Brahmin lady's mother, I was on top of the totem pole, but inside I was absolutely empty. Brahmins believe that they are this close to eternity. That's what my mother said. Son, you are born to this family because the good things you have done in the previous births and deaths. Hindus believe uh, reincarnation. So, uh, becoming a god, I was fully this much away from. If I had kept my faith of the fathers, the Brahmin thinking, and continued my Hindu, Hindu rituals, when I die, I will be one with the god. I will be god. That's what they teach us. But somehow, I was not convinced I would be god. And my parents told me I was sinless. Even as an 11-year-old kid, Nobody had to tell me that I was sinless. <laughs> and there was this Hindu guru whom a lot of, you know, many of the Americans think very high of. He said to call a human being a sinner is the greatest sin. 
and my dad tried to pump that into my soul look here son you are not a sinner you are not done anything wrong but i just want to believe it so if you are young rich culturally and uh, very you know be uh, very very active in a not see like moment everything you have and do not have peace what do you do i went into the drug scene it is easy to go into the drug scene i had to go towards my you know my, when i was about 18 years old i went from my state to another state in india states are divided according to the language you can go from one state to another state and it is totally a different language say from iowa you go to ohio you speak english but you go from one state to another state in india the language the people the culture the food the whole thing is different so i didn't have anybody who spoke my language i looked for a guy who spoke my language and there i found one a medical doctor doing his uh, graduate studies and he spoke my language he was from my state and he was also on drugs ideal combination <laughs> <laughs> and we potted together and if you can find a scum of a guy worse than me here was this guy he will not talk to a patient without taking a bribe in india bribe is not in the system bribe is a system <laughs> and this guy would steal medicines from the pharmacy in the hospital huge hospital government hospital and sell it to support his habit and his language even would make a sailor proud i mean horrible horrible guy and he was my friend he we we were on we were putting together we, he spoke my language so though he was from a lower caste i associated with him because i had no choice one day this character came to me and said jeevan i met jesus i am not going to take power i said okay i thought this guy must have grown his mind taking lsd <laughs> because we have because i have had experiences similar to that taking certain drugs i have seen buddha and couple of my hindu gods i had even shaken hands with them so that that was no big deal so i said give it take a few days off and you will be all right he said no 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 this is not like that jesus is real i said okay i thought he will get over this this uh, you know blowing out the mind in a few days but he was changed his come became a saint he was talking about jesus to me the romans good romans caught all of this guy and crucified him and he was dead and gone this guy was talking about jesus and jesus he said steps into his life jesus talks to him he said i talk to jesus he said what do you mean you talk to jesus he said yeah that's what happened to me i was in the i was in the operation theater and this beautiful nurse walked in and my lust came up and jesus tapped on my shoulder i said what do you mean jesus tapped on your shoulder he said that's what exactly happened man he just tapped on my shoulder and my whole lust turned into something beautiful oh boy here i was a brahmin kid supposed to have all the answers to human problems higher caste cats pajamas and here was this lower guy lower caste guy untouchable according to hindus i mean he cannot even come into your house if my mother knew that i was associating with this guy he would have she would have purified me 10 times over i mean there is a ritual for you know purifying when you go out and come back and he had all the answers 
he was talking about jesus he had control of his life his drug habits had gone and he was treating patients as if they were his long lost uh, you know cousins with respect and love no more stealing no more lying i was challenged i couldn't accept that a lower caste non brahmin guy can have control of this life and he talked to me about jesus every day what he did was he would read the king james bible because we didn't have anything we didn't have anything else in 1972 other than king james in india and he would memorize the word of god and come to me and pump the word of god into my soul mm-hmm. if you do not know the lord jesus christ and someone pumps the word of god into your soul you will know what it is mm-hmm. when you go back to your home however soft the bed is you cannot sleep mm-hmm. because it begins to work that's what happened to me i used to i mean that was turning in my heart what he told me that day and one one day i was standing on a street corner totally high and this lanky guy came and gave me a track i, I didn't even know who he was some guy and i took this track it was about jesus i called him back abused him through the track uh, on his face and it was about jesus of course and he turned to me and said friend if he had done that to me a few days ago i would have pulped your face even your mother would have recognized you <laughs> he said i was a marxist student leader in voltaire university very famous university in lucerne and he said i was a leader of the student federation union the marxist student union you can go and ask about it and jesus met me he changed me that's why i am doing this and i said oh brother i said i have a guy i have a friend who is like you loony as you are <laughs> and he said please give me his address i gave you his address and that was the first thing i did i think at that time these two joined together and these two began to pray for me and they came after me like a tag team <laughs> you know one after the one mrs the other guy would definitely zero in on me imagine guys two fellows young fellows busy busy as they were had the heart hmm. to go in after me hmm. with the gospel hmm. and this new guy he was the oldest among seven siblings poorer than church mouse his father was a drunkard they lived in a slum but he had a smile from ear to ear hmm. every morning his stomach will be empty but his face will have a smile and he will talk about jesus of course not so aggressive as my other friends but very much like jesus empty stomach praise the lord that was a joy they saw I, i i saw i could not escape the fact that these guys had something which i did not 5000 years of my faith of my fathers is it wrong christians only have one bible whereas we have hundreds of scriptures christians are one god we have millions of gods christians christianity is an upstart religion ours is 5000 6000 years old christian god died in hinduism if you are god you got you don't get killed john rambo in rambo movies you don't get killed does he gods do not get killed to me that was a great that was a very big problem jesus romans killed him man so he caesar was greater than jesus obviously logic any idiot knows that right so i told i told these guys and these guys would not challenge that he would say i don't know man but this is what jesus did to me today here we go again that's what jesus talked to them told them they said they walked with jesus one day i was in my friend's room 
miserable as a dog and he said jeevan you have tried everything temples drugs gurus the whole works why don't you give jesus one chance you tell jesus that you want to know who you are and who he is if he proves real you follow him if he does not prove no skin of your nose right so and he said i am going to talk to my jesus and even prank on his knees i have i have no idea what he prayed but i said in my heart i do not know who you are this is after 2 years of struggle but if you are the true god whom i have been seeking all through my life change me now hmm. not tomorrow not when when i am 25 years old not when i am 60 years old right now hmm. prove to me right now and i will give my life as i wanted to give to the right wing hindu organization that's what i wanted to do with my life i wanted to be a full time worker of this right wing hindu group friends jesus changed me that second i came out of that room and i felt i was in a trance but i was not in a trance i was very much in touch with reality my love my fear my appeasing attitude towards my gods and goddesses had gone it is humanly impossible unless the spirit of god works in the heart of a hindu his fear of his gods mm. his appeasing attitude for his god will not go mm. but the lord jesus christ touched turned completely around and that was the beginning of my christian life mm. <laughs> wow that that given your context of the family you came up in and your culture becoming a christian was just the beginning of a very difficult journey because being a christian in your family to your relatives so on and so forth would pose enormous challenges well what happened to your life after as you began to interact with your family your parents find out about your faith my my cousin with whom i was living at in that town he came he came to know that i was not going to the temple he found a bible in my room and he informed my parents that he is not going to the temple he is not doing the pujas which is the ritual worship every day which a brahmin has to do i had stopped doing my spiritual duties so my dad and his brother were very very upset they came to take me back see you may not understand the spiritual and social uh, stigma attached to becoming uh, becoming a christian to a brahmin or a nair um the social stigma is immense you it is worse than ronald reagan's son becoming uh, the leader of the communist party in india i mean here <laughs> if you can imagine Uh, by a stretch of imagination. It is worse than that. <laughs> Hitler's, uh, if, if Hitler had a son, he becomes a champion of the Jewish cause. <laughs> Similar kind of thing. Mm. And it's a spiritual disgrace because my parents and Hindus believe unless I lead the funeral pyre when they die and unless I do the rituals after they die, 16-day rituals in my community, they won't go to heaven. So to them, not only i blew my future my eternity i blew their eternity mm. 
I mean, it was a very, very big thing. Mm. My father had resigned from every Hindu committee he was on, every temple. He could not even go to his relatives' um, uh, daughter's marriage or anything. He stopped going out of the house. Mm. And they, want, they would rather see me dead. And my friend who helped me find the Lord Jesus, he told me that if you go back to your home, man, you are gone. So they encouraged me to run out of, uh, run away from that town to another city. I ran away. My parents didn't know where I was. My people didn't know where, where I was. The right-wing Hindu groups, they were looking for me too because they wanted to, they wanted to kill me. That's what they do. In India, if you become a Christian from among them, you are dead. In 2008, several of the first generation Christians like me were killed behaved in front of their families. This is not some stories from Roman or the days of Caesar. This happened in 2008, 2009. Hmm. So they were after me and my parents after a few years conducted the after-death rituals for me, hmm. publicly stating that our son is dead. They had an effigy of me, conducted the uh, rituals, burned that thing and through the ashes in the river, saying that our son is dead. You do not, some of, uh, you may not understand the spiritual, uh, the social um, stigma and the agony associated with it. I know that I have, the Lord, I have uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I made the right decision. Even when I see my cousins, even today, it's difficult. It's not easy. In India, the fanatic fascist Hindus say that Christians and Muslims are traitors, but Christ, uh, Hindus who have become Christians are worse than traitors. Hmm. It is something like raping a mother. That's the word they use. Hmm. Very, very vulgar language they use. So they have driven into the Indian psyche the horribleness of what they call of conversion. As you know, in several states in India has anti-conversion laws. You know that? No, I didn't yes. know that. They have anti-conversion. If you convert somebody, you and, the con you and the person who get converted get thrown in jail. You, you can get converted from Christianity to Hinduism. It is absolutely all right. If you, you convert a Hindu, it's a crime. It's a crime in the... It's, it's a law in certain states in India. They wanted to make it an Indian. They are trying for it. And so I ran away from my home. I, I was in a different town. And there I met an American missionary. I, went in, I didn't know the difference between Catholics and Protestants then. I was a few weeks old Christian. I, I knew that I had to go to church. So I walked into a Catholic church. And they said, no, our mass is over. You had to go to some other place. And the the... Uh, caretaker directed me to a small lane. They said some Christians meet there. I went there, and so it was a small hundred people church called Good News Center, and a white man was teaching there. He was a missionary from West Virginia, and that is where I attended the church. He became a uh, Paul to a Timothy like me. He became my mentor, guru. Shall I say something about him? Sure. His name is Bob Crow. He was an atheist, young man. If you had a, um, he was in the World War II, 
about 17, 18 years old. After the war, the American government chose some of the brilliant young people from the army and tested them and said, uh, who were tested very, very high in their IQ, they decided to send them to whatever schools or colleges they wanted to go. Bob Crow, this, this guy from West Virginia, 18 or 19 years old, ended up in the University of Chicago. But he was an atheist. He spent more time in the bars, punching other people's nose flat, and getting his nose uh, flat, and not studying. But at the end of the year, he would get straight A's. In his third year, he wanted to prove Christianity is for congenital idiots. And so his atheistic professor encouraged him to write a paper. And he was writing this paper. To, to write a paper on Christianity, you have to read the New Testament. So he, he read the book of John and he began to get shaken up. And he, while he was reading the book of Romans, one night, the Lord Jesus Christ zapped him. Bang! He landed on his knees. He could not escape the fact that Jesus is real. The Spirit of God came upon his life mm. in such powerful way mm. and transformed that atheist and he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Within a few years, he landed up in India. Mm. Usually, missionaries lived in those days in mission compounds for five years learning the language. Bob Crow said, that's crazy. He's, he was a man. In 1950, he came to India in 1950, even before I was born. And he began to think out of the box. And so he disobeyed his mission superintendent and went into the remote Indian village and began to live there. And within six months, he was speaking Telugu language spoken by now about 70, 80 million people fluently. He was preaching in Telugu. He was very, very active in the Indian evangelical scene, very active in intervarsity fellowship in India. Once, once he was known as a Billy Graham of India, he was so powerful, so good preacher, teacher of the world. And he was a man who was preaching when I walked into that church. And after the church, Bob Crow came out, and I was a stranger there. He asked me who I was. I said, I am Given Nair. He said, what is a Nair doing in a church? Because Nairs mm. don't go to church. Mm. So I said, same thing as you are doing, trying to worship the Lord. So he began, he said, come. He had a habit of taking all the young people out for lunch on a Dutch basis. You pay your bill. So we went out and he became my spiritual mentor. Hmm. And one fine day, at the height of his preaching popularity in India, he said, I will not speak hereafter. Because the Lord called me to translate the Bible into spoken Telugu. The Telugu Bible at that time was 160 years old. Hmm. And what William Carey had translated when he came last century. Hmm. So this American learns Hebrew and Greek and translates the Bible into spoken Telugu. And right. when we take this man's, took this manuscripts to leading uh, secular Hindu Telugu writers, they said this language, this fluency, this beauty of the language is only possible by higher class Brahmin Hindu uh, writers. Hmm. Christians cannot write this fluent language. Hmm. Just imagine, the Spirit of God catches hold of a man. A man sells his life, abandons his life into the hands of the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God enables him to learn the language so well hmm. and translate it better than extremely uh, well-known secular writers can do.
That's the power of the Spirit of God. That's the power of our God. Amen. I mean, it's so exciting for me. Coming from a Hindu background, I know what it is to stand in front of a dumb idol. And now I know what it is to serve the living God. Amen. And here is the, the differences. The excitement is. And this man's translation was better than those guys. Hmm. And then, Esther, my wife and I studied at Regent College, Vancouver, for three years. And after that, I went back to India with this grand idea of almost transforming the Indian church single-handed because, you know, if you study under Packer and others, you get the idea that you can do that. And I was young also, 29, 30 years old. Yep, you thought you had it. You, you, you had worked out. But I, when I went back to India, we were associate staff workers of university, and Bob Crow and I had started this great ministries, and I told Uncle Bob, we call him Uncle Bob, I'm going to travel around and make myself available for teaching and preaching. Uncle Bob said, good, but there is another option. We can write a study Bible for India. I said, what? He said, study Bible. He said, think of the average Indian pastor. He does not have commentaries, concordances, Christianity today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He doesn't have any help. He doesn't have any help in preparing for Sunday after Sunday. Why don't we invest our lives in preparing a study Bible for India? We have study Bibles in the West, but they are made for the West. At that time, uh, New International Version Study Bible was on the process. It was not done yet. So, for India, with Indian context, Indian needs, Indian pastors, problems in mind, let's prepare one and translate into Indian languages. So, I thought, well, it should be done in about two or three years. Sure, we can do that. So, we invested our lives. I decided I will listen to Uncle Bob, who's my team, my Paul, so I had to listen to him. In a small room, at 12 by 8, we began to spend our time preparing study Bible. Mm. Yes, sir, can I have that, please? It took us 20 years of our lives. 20 years. Yes. 20 years of our lives, and we prepared a study Bible for India. And after the last reference in Revelation was written, how many people were involved in it, you know? Uncle Bob, myself, Esther, and another person, four people. Mm. And we had, we had a 64K computer, a rainbow computer, on that we keyed in all this after that. Talk about the Lord enabling people with little, I mean, five loaves and three fishes kind of thing. That's the thing we had. And on the last day, we piled up this manuscript onto the floor, knelt down, lifted up our hand, and said, to, unto us, O Lord, unto us, hmm. not to us. Not to us, Lord, unto you, unto you alone. That's what we have written. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but your name give glory because of your mercy. Mm. And we decided that if we put our names on this Bible, we will be stealing the glory of God. So we, you do not find any of our names in the Bible, in the study Bible. Nowhere, even in the forward, we say that we have written this. And we have a very strict copyright laws for this. Anybody can copy it and do whatever they want to do with it. Yeah. The copyright belongs to the Lord. Amen. We do not own the copyright. Yeah. It's available for the people. 
the church in india or anywhere else in the world and uncle bob translated the entire thing into telugu a language spoken by over 80 million people 1000 year old language mm-hmm. and that bible has brought so many people to the lord established the churches pastors write to us and say this is the greatest gift anybody can give to the telugu church mm-hmm. the first telugu bible in the history of history of indian church mm-hmm. the lord enabled us the lord put this vision in our hearts and then the lord did not allow us to escape from it when i look back in my life i see um, somebody used the word the hound of heaven yeah yeah i, I, I don't know who it was cs C. lewis somebody smart i don't know somebody is that not i not you no no not me no. i think the cs lewis somebody hound of heaven that's what exactly the lord jesus christ and his grace is yes chasing after us yes and then calling us and then making us you know we cannot escape from that call yeah. and that you know what he has asked us to do and if it, if i plan to do anything else i will not i will be miserable like a dog there that's right but what he called us to do we are doing when we do what he called us to do he gives us satisfaction that's right and the joy that's right we do not care it we do not care a double barrel coat to collect reports or to know how many people we have led to the lord it is the lord is he is doing it he we committed this into his hands amen as as i travel i come across uh, amazing stories of the lord's grace god touching people's lives mm. through the study bible mm. uncle bob and jeevan would die and go the word of god does that's right William Carey what he did all over India in different languages still bringing forth fruit even after 200 years that's right this is what we have offered yeah as a burnt offering 18 years old couldn't have been further away from the gospel and who Jesus is god gets a hold of your life yep. you go through enormous years of persecution difficulty being disowned by your family god grabs a hold of you you dedicate your life to what you think is going to be a 2 3 year process you give 20 years of your life and as a result there are hundreds thousands and perhaps even millions of people whose lives will be touched as a result of that we will meet them in heaven we will meet them in heaven pastor yeah that's only that that's only we don't care yeah even if you don't know about it it will be great yeah to know but yeah oh um, and people uncle bob don't get mad here is a smile this is what happens if you abandon your life into his hands amen a white man from the hills of west virginia i mean the boondocks the red man <laughs> <laughs> We knew that when you said West Virginia, but thank you for clarifying. <laughs> From the Chicago loop, yeah, you can understand that. No, no. And he comes to India. If the Lord can use him. That's right. That's right. Sold out to God. That's right. In his life in the hands of God. That's right. That's what the Lord can do. 
with lies. Even Kerry said, expect great things from God. Yeah. Attempt great things for God. Amen. We want to thank you for your time, your life, and being here this morning. And the last thing, if I could ask you to do this, uh, worship team, you guys come on up, is because there are some of us here today who walked in and said, I don't have a purpose in my life. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't have clarity about what God's calling me to do. I want my life to count. I want my life to make a difference, but I feel lost. I feel a sense of aimlessness. There are many of us that may find ourselves in that situation. And hearing your story is only increasing the angst that says, God, I want to do that. I want to make a difference. If I can just ask you to lift up a prayer for our church, specifically remembering those of us that may be finding ourselves in that situation as we walked in here today, that God, the Spirit, would speak. Okay? I'll stand together, church. If you can pray a prayer, Pastor Nair, for, for them. Our Lord and our God, thank you, Lord, for these young people who walk in these doors, seeking you with Lord Jesus, we know that you are more interested in revealing your will to us than we actually are. Enable us, Lord, to seek you and seek your will alone. And Lord, realize that our God does not abandon us. Yes. Even when we turn our backs towards you, Lord. Yes, you God. do not leave us alone. That's right. You come after us. That's right. Lord God, That's right. help these young people who are seeking. And help these young people, Lord, who are seeking for a particular Jesus. aspect in their lives that you will reveal that to them. Speak you to will us, gather God. them, Lord. Reveal you will invest your us, spirit into their heart. Yes, God. And Lord, you will empower them. Yes, and God. you will cause that fire to burn, Lord, which yes, nothing in yes, hell God. can quench. Yes, God. Lord Jesus, we pray in the name of the Almighty yeah, 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 God yeah, that yeah. you will touch their hearts and set their hearts aflame. Yeah, God. Lord, prone to wander, we know it, Lord. Yes. Wander from the God we love. Yet, Lord, your love, the love that will not let us go, yeah. to that love, oh Lord, we lift up these young people. Yeah. Speak to them, Lord. Touch their hearts. Speak, God. Uh, Lord speak, Jesus, uh, enable us to be faithful to you. Help us to walk with you, Lord. Yes, God. Holding your hand, clasping our hands. Yes, God. Yes, God. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Peter. Thank you, Church. Thank you, Pastor Vaughn. Was... Thank you, God, for the powerful testimony this morning. Every single one of us 
that follow you as Jesus. We are here because you hounded us. You came after us. You sought us out, God, and did not give up until we surrender our hearts to you. That's our testimony. That's our story. And for that, we are grateful. For that, we are overwhelmed. For that, we declare you alone are God. Thank you for reminding us this morning the powerful story and testimony of how one life, one life, one life given totally and radically to you could change thousands and perhaps millions of people all over the world. Thank you that one changed life, one changed life could have an impact beyond our wildest imagination. One changed life in faithfulness to you could change, change people's lives. Thank you for reminding us of that powerful testimony this morning. Father, be with Pastor Javon as he travels and his wife, Esther, continue to use them throughout the country of India. Father, we ask for nothing less than a revival of the Spirit of God. Yes, we do. And church, as you go forth today, and as you walk out those doors, be reminded that you serve a living God who is with you, who is for you, who is beside you. A living God who has the power to tap you on your shoulder and to speak. A living God who has the power to radically change a life given any moment. A power that is beyond us. Remember that as you share your testimony, as you share the gospel, as you speak forth scripture into your friends, into your co-workers, into your neighbors and your family. I pray this in the name of the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. Bring friends next Sunday. Let's pack this place out for our Vision Sunday. Have a great week. Lord, you alone say.